Nick DiGilio here on 720 WGN. Live in the Skyline studio here till 4 o'clock. Tom Appel is the publisher of Consumer Guide Automotive. He joins us once a month uh, to talk uh, automotive news and cars and answer any and all of your automotive or car-related questions. If you're in the uh, market for a car and so on and so forth, he can help you out. Uh, 312-981-7200. And you can follow uh, Tom at car underscore guy underscore Tom. And let's say hello to Tom. Tom, hi. Hey. How are you? I am well, thank you. Good, good, good. Um, uh, you've been busy? <laughs> yes. Yes, we're crazy busy. Um, people may not be buying that many cars, but we're testing as many as ever. So, yeah, that hasn't changed. Okay. Well, first of all, uh, let's let's uh, uh, get all the info on Consumer Guide Automotive. Yeah, we are Consumer Guide Automotive. We've been around since 1967. Folks can check us out at consumerguide.com. From there, you can check out our podcasts or go to our blog. The blog is all sorts of fun. Uh, people are starting to enjoy the podcast, so check those out, too. Let's uh, talk a little bit about the podcast. Who, you, who do you do it with, and how often do you post? Yeah, me and co-host Damon Bell uh, do a podcast every week. We record on Thursday, usually goes live on Friday. We try to include uh, whatever the big news is that week, one car review, one guest, and then I do a fun quiz where I try to stump Damon and sometimes guest Jill Simonillo, uh, who joins us often. Uh, and, and that's really the show. We, we try to keep it quick and easy and, and light, and it's a lot of fun. What, what kind of questions do you, uh, do you, do you uh, try to quiz them on? I've been doing um, my fallback quiz because it's so much fun is the fake car color quiz. Um, <laughs> our companies are crazy at branding and naming colors, yeah. so it's really easy to make up fake names that are just weird enough that they could be real. Right. Well, what? Are, okay. What are some of the? Because we've talked about uh, the, the weird uh, names of colors that they've that they've uh, assigned to cars. What are some of your favorites? One of my favorites, uh, the Porsche 911, for example. This is an iconic car. Everyone knows what it looks like, even if they don't know it by its number. It, right. it is the Porsche that we all associate with Porsche. Most of the names involve 17 syllables. There is <laughs> one color, one flat color for the car called chalk. <laughs> <laughs> chalk. Well, that sounds... Chalk. Jeez, that sounds inviting. So, um, it's actually a beautiful color. It, it is a flat color um, um, under coats and coats of clear coat, and it looks fantastic on the car, and it really, really shows off the car's contours. But it's it is not not a very bit of uh, sexy bit of branding. Yeah, no, it doesn't sound like it. Hey, what color would you like? How about chalk? <laughs> exactly. Jeez. Uh, so, so you try and fool them with the? Uh, do you do pretty well at fooling them on the with these quizzes? Yes, I do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Typical. Usually, it's a five-question quiz, and uh, the end score is usually like two to one, something like that. <laughs> uh, that's pretty cool. And uh, we, people can get the the podcast anywhere you can get podcasts, right? Yes, yeah. We got forty-five episodes out there right now. Uh, covered all sorts of different topics, all sorts of fun guests too. And you got a link to that on uh, at consumerguide.com. We do. All right, cool. What are you currently driving, Tom? I always ask you. Um, I just got out of a really interesting car. I just drove the Cadillac CT5. Um, for folks who have been following the grim tale of the sedan, Cadillac dropped four sedans from its lineup in the last 18 months and replaced them with two sedans. One is very small, the CT4, and one's a little bit bigger. It's close to midsize, the CT5. I drove the CT5, and it, it's interesting bit of positioning for Cadillac because it is less expensive than its previous cars and maybe just a little bit less um um, aggressively styled, but I think it's a very clean and good-looking car, and I really enjoyed it. And the exciting thing is I drove the V version, the performance version, uh -huh. and fully equipped with all the stuff, it came in under $60,000. Kind of a deal in this class, and I yeah. really enjoyed driving it. Oh, all right. And uh, what else have, uh, has been driven around the office? I know uh, a lot of people do the test driving, so what what, are, what other cars are, are, are we, have been driven? We recently were paid a three-day visit, three full days, 72 hours, uh, by the Rolls-Royce Dawn Black Badge Edition. Whoa. <laughs> that was the first Rolls-Royce we've, we've spent time with in a couple of years and uh, did not disappoint. The Dawn is a gigantic convertible. 
Um, and it, it, it's hard to call it beautiful, but you can see that's expensive. And when you're talking about a car this expensive, value no longer enters into the equation. Someone who spends this much money for a car knows what they're doing, knows why they're buying it. But that said, I don't think people will be disappointed. It's incredibly silky smooth underway. It rides incredibly well. The cabin is beautiful. It is fast if you feel like going fast at a Rolls Royce. Uh, but but I did have a chance to drive it up to Wisconsin with the top down, and it was everything I could. Oh wow! <laughs> Driving a Rolls, you know, uh, that's a convertible up to Wisconsin. Yeah. Yep, cross the state line. Oh man! Oh man! What's that? Okay, just uh, what's that going for? That one, as equipped, was four hundred and seventy-seven thousand dollars. Oh my God! <laughs> yeah, you you can't really have a conversation about value. Oh it, man! <laughs> now let me ask you something, Tom. Just on the simplest of levels, are you ever nervous when you're driving a four hundred and seventy-seven thousand dollar car? Here's a true story. It, it has very high fenders. It, it just sits high off the ground, and I pulled it into a McDonald's drive-through because when you have a Rolls Royce, <laughs> that's what you do. <laughs> And I immediately regretted doing it because I couldn't see the outside curb. So oh. that, was, that was the most nervous I've been in years. But uh, everything ended up just fine. Oh, okay. All right. I would be a nervous wreck driving a $477,000 <laughs> car. Jeez. Okay. Hold on, Tom. Will do. All right. We got some uh, phone lines open and people are on hold. We got some questions already for Tom. Any automotive or car related questions, if you're looking to buy or lease a car or you just want uh, some advice. 312-981-7200, and uh, Tom Appel is with us once a month. we got a lot of uh, automotive uh, news stories as well. And uh, we will continue right here on 720 WGN. Hello, Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN. Hey, by the way, it's officially my dad's birthday. Yeah. Yeah. So, I'll do a little celebrating, I think. So, uh, so happy birthday to my dad. 312-981-7200 is the phone number if you have any automotive or car-related questions or concerns or you need some advice. Tom Appel is with us for his monthly visit. He's from Consumer Guide Automotive. Follow him on... Uh, online or on twitter or on the devices at car underscore guy underscore tom always a lot of automotive news to talk about and we've got people who are calling in uh with questions hello tom hello all right uh we got some people on the line uh that um, maybe need a little help and have some questions okay sounds good okay here's Stuart on wgn go ahead Stuart. yes good morning hey, hey nick how you doing nice to talk to you again yeah just want to say real quick also, your dad's joke yesterday was probably the best one yet and tell him I said happy birthday. I will. I will. It was a great, it was a really good joke. Uh, yes, it yeah, was. That, yeah. that was awesome. Uh, morning time. How are you, sir? I'm good. Thank you. Uh, I've got a quick question for you. I've got, I drive a 2007 Lincoln Town Car. Uh-huh. And for like the last three, four months, I've had a slight exhaust leak, but because of my work slowdown because of COVID, I haven't been able to get it addressed. And tonight, and this is perfect timing to have you on the show, I was coming home from work about a half hour ago, and all of a sudden the service engine light came on, it was blinking, and then it went solid, and the car just started running rough and almost missing. If it was my 66 Chevelle, I'd say, oh, there's something with the, with the spark plugs or the uh, the timing's off. Yeah. But I've got a guess. I was wondering what your expert guesstimate might be. I've got an idea of what it might be, but I'd like to hear your thoughts. Yeah, I don't know. So that happens suddenly. That's what you're saying? Yeah, just I was driving, and all of a sudden, boom, it just started happening. If, if it's, something it's, like it's that always rode smooth as silk. Yeah, that sounds like an exhaust, or not an exhaust, but maybe an emissions thing went foul. Real common. Right. I was thinking an oxygen, oxygen sensor. sensor. Would that sound about right? Yes. Okay. Yeah, it, it is a very frequent, uh, that's, that's the go-to thing that goes wrong in the emissions system. Okay, yeah, you know, the cars are so different now than when I first started driving, where I could actually work on them. <laughs> yeah. It was computer-driven. Yeah, yeah. You know, I could, change, I could do it all myself, and now it's like I open the lid and just stay in there like, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, it was very nice talking okay. to you. Thank you for the Thank uh, you, Stuart. The info, and uh, have a great uh, great rest of your day, and okay. stay safe, everybody. Take care. All right, there's uh, Stuart uh, with his Lincoln Town car. Uh, that's that, Is that a common thing, uh, Tom? 
Yeah, especially in a car that old. The oxygen sensor uh, will go bad, and then your emission system will start to mess up, and then it's just sort of a cascade effect where nothing quite works right. Mm, okay. And it's a fairly simple, fairly affordable thing to fix. Well, that's good. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, let's see. Here is uh, Giovanni. Giovanni, go ahead. Giovanni? Okay. No Giovanni. Uh, all right, 312-981-7200 if you would like to uh, join us, if you have an uh, automotive question or a car question or you need some advice. Um, got some news stories here, Tom, I'd like to get your thoughts on. Yeah. Uh, self-driving shuttles try virus-killing UV rays to assure riders. What's the uh, What's the deal here? Yeah, this is interesting. First of all, it's interesting that there are two relatively small companies running these shuttles, um, but they're more or less autonomous vehicles, but they run on pre-planned routes, so they're not truly autonomous. They're more driverless. But um, one of the things that they're doing to try to assuage the fears of passengers is bathing the cars periodically in ultraviolet light, which is very effective at killing germs. And and a lot of manufacturers and a lot of folks dealing with things like, like ride-hailing services are dealing with this. And there's a related story from a couple of months ago where Ford, the number one purveyor of, of uh, police vehicles in the country, came up with something that police departments should be able to adapt to their vehicles. And it is a system by which it uses the car's built-in heat uh, to raise the interior temperature to 133 degrees for 15 minutes. Whoa. Which, according to the University of Ohio and, and their uh, their biology department, should wipe out 99 Point nine percent of all the germs in the car. Wow! Uh, it's it, it's kind of funny because Ford's been working to make these vehicles more efficient, and now you have to let your car idle for fifteen minutes at one hundred and thirty three degrees, <laughs> which which is probably going to use a lot of fuel. Yeah, but but it's also you know if, if this helps the safety of people left to ride in those cars, then so be it. Yeah, and the uh, the self driving shuttles, where do they run? There was one that was running in California, and the other one was, I think, in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Um, and yeah, relatively short routes. They're interesting, and I'd like to follow up on those just to see um, how those services are working. But, yeah, they're relatively simple routes, but I think that people who, who use those might feel a little bit better about those. The bad news is the systems are about $2,000 a unit, so that, that adds Oof. a lot to the cost of, of operating these things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, and it's it, uh, the one in Grand Rapids says it's a 3.2 mile route. Yeah, uh, it has 20 stops on each side of the Grand River uh, that runs through the city and connects downtown to two business districts. Yeah, so that's an interesting route, and I'd be—I believe that's on—it's not on tracks. It, it is autonomous. It is running on pavement, so that's interesting. Yeah, and are people? I mean, have you heard whether people are embracing this or whether it's being uh, considered a success of any kind? I don't know. That's a good question. I don't know the answer to that. Okay. All right. Well, there there it is, uh, up, up, up in Michigan, Grand Rapids, Michigan. And then you said in L.A., correct? Yeah, there's one in California, too, yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, and they're uh, they're using the virus-killing UV rays to assure riders that, uh, that it will be safe. Yeah, we'll see a lot more of that, I think. Uh, of uh, Just in general? Yeah, different forms of that. We might see the heat. We might see the UV. Um, but I think that it's not practical for people to go in there with... Uh, with Windex and paper towels. So. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I think you're going to need a little bit more than that. So, Yes. <laughs> um, it, it, I, you know, I wasn't aware until you just said it, Tom, that most of uh, the police vehicles are Fords. Yeah. Uh, yep. how, how did that happen? I mean, is, is there, do they have a contract with police, uh, with the police or anything like that? How does that work? A lot of them do have contracts, but Ford just has an amazing ability to sell, to, to modify and sell their vehicles to police departments. Um, and the popular one now, they don't call it the Ford Explorer, but it's basically the Ford Explorer that's built here in Chicago at the Torrance Avenue plant. Oh, really? But, yeah, but they do a really nice job of modifying that vehicle. So they reinforce the frame, they, uh, they upgrade the front suspension and the brakes for curb hopping. Um, they, they make all sorts of heavy duty parts for it. They make a special version of the hybrid vehicle just for police. So it, it's not just a lightly modified Explorer. It is a, it is a considerably upgraded and updated vehicle. But, but yeah, Ford, Ford commands that market now. Ah, that's amazing. I had no idea. I really, I had no idea that Ford did that. That must be great for their business, obviously. It is because it's not it's not economy dependent. You know, police departments tend to order on a regular schedule all the time. Yeah. So that's sort of like very. That's just very reliable business. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, here's Mike on WGN. Go ahead, Mike. 
Hey, Tom, I'm interested in uh, the 2020 Trailblazers. Um, anything I should be looking for, and what would be the major difference as far as the basic models compared to the, the upgraded models? Yeah, great question. The Trailblazer is an all-new vehicle for Chevy. It slots between uh, the Chevy Trax, the subcompact Chevy Trax, and the Chevy Equinox, which is a sort of a, a smallish mid-sized vehicle. Um, and it's all new this year. The big news here is, is it's a new size, and I think that it's a good size for a lot of people. It's very similar mechanically to the all-new um, Buick Encore GX. Mm. Uh, which is another view you can look at. Here's the thing to worry about for that vehicle. I think it makes very good use of space. Uh, I enjoy driving. I haven't driven the Chevy. I've only driven the Buick. I'm actually going to drive the Chevy next week. But what they're not telling people, and, and I don't know why they would advertise this, is that it makes use of only three-cylinder engines, a 1.2 and a 1.3-liter three-cylinder engine. Really good power. You wouldn't you wouldn't miss the the size, but. There is some vibration on startup, and there's some vibration when the stop-start system works, and a little bit of strange exhaust note. And I think that someone who's been driving for a long time might find that stuff a little bit off-putting. A young driver would not. Just see if you like it. Make sure you like it. Otherwise, you might want to go with something else. Okay. Is it is it 2021 model any different or no? Um, I think the – I believe the Trailblazer is rolling in as a 2021 only. I think the Buick came in as a 2020. I might have those numbers backed up. I don't think there is a 2020 of the Trailblazer. Okay. Okay, just the Blazer, right? And then the Trailblazer is coming out in 2021. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Okay, thank you. All right, Mike, take care. How long has the Trailblazer been around, huh? The Trailblazer name uh, was dormant for about, what is it, eight years, something like that, and they just brought it back. The Blazer name was resurrected two years ago, so they've got these heritage names back in action now. Yeah, yeah. Is that like a, is that comfort for people who are looking for a vehicle that they know they're familiar with the name of the vehicle? You know, it seems to be. It's really interesting because Toyota just came out with an all-new crossover. And, and like this Trailblazer we're talking about, it's kind of a tweener vehicle. It's between a compact and a midsize. Okay. Uh, and they use the Venza name. And, and Venza was a vehicle they had sold before and not very successfully, but I guess they thought it was familiar enough that people would remember it. And, and yeah, to your point, might be comforted by the fact that it didn't sound new or all-new. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Because you know, I mean, you want reliability or trust when you're buying a vehicle. You know what I mean. Yeah. And, if you, and if you know the name or the brand, that helps. Yeah, and especially at times like this, I think usually when the economy is sluggish, people are a little bit more conservative about their automotive purchases and don't take risks. Yeah. So yeah, that's 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 sort of marketing is helpful now. There you go. All right, Tom, hang on. Okay. Will do. Tom Appel is with us, uh, publisher of Consumer Guide Automotive. Follow him at car underscore guy underscore Tom. Uh, if you have any automotive or car-related question or you need some advice, 312-981-7200 and more automotive news stories to talk about as well. But let's get to the news. Hornsby. Ah, oh, yes. Hey, it's Nick DeGilio on 720 WGN. We are live in the Skyline studio on a Tuesday morning, um, and uh, we are going to be uh, talking about fast food myths, haunted houses that are up for sale, and we'll continue. We'll jump back into the uh, bad landlord stories that we'll get into. Uh, classic Johnny Carson. We're going to play back a bit where uh, Johnny plays G. Walter Schneer, airline safety expert. <laughs> so we always play a bit of Johnny Carson comedy uh, every uh, morning at 2.30. You can watch the Johnny Carson show on Antenna TV every night. And so we love to just play a little comedy, whether it be a sketch or some stand-up or an interview. And uh, we will visit with uh, G. Walter Schneer, airline safety expert. <laughs> A little later on. Tom Appel is with us. He joins us once a month, publisher of Consumer Guide Automotive. Follow him at car underscore guy underscore Tom. Any and all automotive questions, we'd love to help you out. 312-981-7200. Hello, Tom. Hello. Hey, uh, so I'm looking at somebody posted something on your on your Facebook page. <laughs> what What is that? It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a vehicle, that's certainly. And then it said, say something nice. Uh, and you wrote, white walls aren't scuffed. 
<laughs> well, that's one of the strangest looking vehicles I've ever seen. I think the guy that posted that is a Nick DiGilio fan, so he's probably listening to us right now. A, 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 a man named Paul. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, that is a Dodge Caravan that has been heavily modified by someone, I think, with some mental issues. Um, <laughs> uh, because... <laughs> I don't know what happened to it, but it looks like they turned a minivan into a pickup truck, and and it's, very badly. It is so weird. That's a that's a caravan. It was, yeah, it was. <laughs> what about that grill on the front here? I don't know what that came from. It kind of looks like something off a of Kenworth. God, it's so crazy looking. But but someone yeah someone spent time and money on that probably God. more time yeah God that's yeah. just so ridiculous looking but the white walls aren't scuffed as you pointed out Tom You're right yeah okay. that's something nice got to... <laughs> all right let's see here is uh, Bruce on WGN hi Bruce hi hi go ahead uh, we are looking to buy a new vehicle and discovered that uh, what we're looking at you have to push a button before you drive in order to keep it from stopping every time you stop the vehicle. Is there any kind of permanent override on that? Because I really don't want that to go on. Um, here's the thing. You're talking about the stop-start functionality, and more and more manufacturers are incorporating that into their cars, and you'll find that with the next generation of new cars, every car will have stop-start. So for people who are really afraid of that or really think it's disruptive, that's very bad news. Here's the good news. Those systems are getting better and better and better. Um, now, is this, for, is this for fuel efficiency, Tom? It is, and and the amount of fuel that they save by not running the engine at stops is actually measurable. Really? Yeah, I've heard that. Like in the average commute, you can save something like a pint of gas on the average commute, and that's that's real fuel um, being saved. So that that the benefits are real. The bad news is that early systems were terrible, so that when a car started up, you could feel it. You wouldn't get throttle right away because you were waiting for the engine to start. Uh, but well, to answer to answer there, your question, there is um, someone. Uh, there's someone that uh, has a brand-new Chrysler Pacifica, uh-huh. and they were showing me how it jerks every time they take off. Yeah, it depends on the circumstances, and they can be rough in the cold, too. Often they don't work in the cold. Um, but to answer your question, some cars allow you to turn them off, but I doubt you will find a dealer that will turn it off permanently, um, largely because it is linked to emission systems. So I, I think you have to live with that. Uh-huh. Okay, okay, Bruce. Thank you, Bruce. Thanks. 312-981-7200 is the phone number. Let's see. Here's Gail on WGN. Hi, Gail. Hi. Thanks for taking my question. Sure, go ahead. I bought a 2020 um, Honda Odyssey in February, and I'm 71 years old, but I've been driving minivans for years, and I'm very tall, so they, they're easy to get in and out of. Uh-huh. So I'm only getting 13 to 15 miles per hour average on this car. It's driving me crazy. So I took it in and it had some rebates, and they gave me a CRV to um, use for the day. And I was shocked at how easy it was to get in and out of the CRV. For me, better than the pilot. Interesting. Trading. That Odyssey in for a, ZR, a CRV, but people are telling me that the gas will get better. Yeah, your and mileage is unusually bad. Money, but I think I'm going to make it up on the gas. I'm filling this thing up all the time. And the other thing is, I hate the push button gears. Oh, yeah. And if people haven't seen it, the system that's in the Honda, the Odyssey and the Pilot, is very interesting because it involves you using two fingers to sort of squeeze things together. It's it's an odd system. You get used to it very quickly, or in your case, maybe not. Um, but it is very unconventional, and I think that some people might have a hard time getting used to it. Um, as for your mileage, that's unusually bad mileage. So there is something wrong with your car that the dealership needs to fix. If you were to move to the CRV, there is now the CRV Hybrid, which is exceptional. It costs very little more than the regular CRV, and the fuel economy will be close to 40. Um, but heck of a nice car. And if, you, if you're comfortable getting in and out of that vehicle, yeah, that might be a good move. Unfortunately, you just bought a car, which means you will get burned a little bit in resale value when you train it in. Mm. You know, I know that, but that's what I'm trying to, am I making, am I making a big mistake if I do that, or if it's just... 
They're you are dealing with a Honda deal dealer on another my Honda. Car. My payments aren't going to change. They're just going to be, I'm going to have to make them longer, more of them. Yeah, the the if you're going to be more comfortable, is... it's something to think about. Okay, Gail. Okay, thank right, you. Take care. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, the, the virus is, is showing up in a lot of the uh, automotive stories. And another one um, is how it has, this, the, the virus has completely changed commutes uh, to work. Um, you know, they're swapping out public transit for cars. And I know that's the case. You know, I know that uh, my producer, Tom, um, you, 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 uh, for the longest time, you always use public transit, correct? Yeah. No, that's how I used to get here. Um, I think for a period of time, I maybe drove back in like, I don't know, 2017. Yeah. And I still had a car, uh, and then had to get rid of that car, that beautiful 1998 Saturn. <laughs> I swear to God, it was like it was like a clown car trying to get me into it, but it yeah. worked. And it, it, it had a great tape deck too. Yeah, but by the way, a great tape deck. By the way, Tom, uh, my producer Tom is also a very big guy, very, very, yeah. very big. Guy. This is why I love on the uh, Consumer Guide Automotive reviews. They've got the big. You guys yeah. do the big and tall <laughs> section, and it's great. Yeah. I love it. It makes my life so much easier because when I do eventually, you know, get another another car or a different car, I'm going to Tom Appel because I'm like, this guy knows. This well, guy knows the how thing- I. Feel. But Tom, that you know. yeah, I mean, that's a, that personally is an issue for you because you're a big dude. No, it is. It absolutely is, and it's funny the cars that are actually too small. Like right now, I'm driving a Corolla, and that's just fine. Uh-huh. Little compact Toyota Corolla is fine, but there are certain BMWs, especially BMWs, even midsize and large BMWs, uh, the four door sedans, especially, really hard to get in and out of. Really? Yeah, just small front door openings, and uh-huh. it's problematic. Uh-huh. Uh, the Germans. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, uh, what's the, the? Let's talk a little bit about this story about how the impact of the virus has made on commuting to work. Yeah, cars.com requisitioned a study, and, and the, the folks at Cars requisitioned lots of studies, and they're always interesting. And those guys are local, too. They're in Chicago, and I, and I love those guys. They're awesome. But they, they requisitioned a study, and one of the things that they learned is that 60% of people who are currently uh, commuting using public transportation plan to get a car which is an enormous number. It's good news for auto manufacturers. It's bad news for environmentalists. Um, but I guess the study went on to suggest that 25% of those people have already done so. So they're putting their money where their, where their mouth is. Wow. But this is going to have a major impact on a lot of things. Now, we know a lot of people are staying home, um, but, but we're going to see that, that revenue generated by public transportation is going to go down. We're going to see that um, a lot of the people who do this are probably going to be looking for relatively affordable, smaller vehicles. In the Chicagoland area, they're probably going to want crossovers with all-wheel drive. So we're going to be seeing a lot of action in those categories, I think. Yeah. Wow. Well, yeah, I mean, I know it's made, an, it's made a huge impact. Um, you know, uh, when, when, when we were, you know, when the, when the lockdown first happened, uh, you know, I was still coming down to work. And considerably less traffic. You know what I mean? Like, uh, there was just barely any traffic on the Kennedy coming down. Uh, and that's increased a lot. That has increased quite a lot over the past, uh, you know, two months or so. Yeah, traffic is up. What we're not seeing, though, right now, which we would normally be seeing as school buses. Oh, right. Um, which which is the thing that can really mess up my morning commute and not seeing those. I do see a lot of empty <laughs> a lot of empty metro trains. Uh, yeah, I see a lot of empty buses and and uh, uh you know and L's and and, and stuff like that cuz you know the you know the uh uh the blue line runs on the Kennedy. Um and uh, you know we we drive past it as we're coming in or going out and uh, those those trains seem significantly empty. Yeah, I know Metro 2 was having some maintenance problems and they used to run nine cars. I used to see these things every day because I take Northwest Highway to work, so I actually sure. run along the Northwest line. Sure. And now they're down to I think three, four, and five cars, depending on the uh, is that right on the time of day. Yeah. yeah. So th- I guess their maintenance problems are probably sort of taking care of themselves. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like it. All right, Tom, hold on. Okay. We'll do. All right, Tom Appel is with us. If you've got a question uh, or, or a concern that's automotive related, three one two nine eight one seven two hundred. The GD Daily Drive uh, blog is so much fun and. Um, a little bit later on, we're going to talk about the 10 coolest dashboards of the 50s. I love it when Tom does these things, just these, you know, shows pictures of these crazy looking uh, things from the past. So we're going to look at some cool, we're going to talk about some cool looking dashboards from the 50s. Again, 312-981-7200, Sink to and WGN.
see the curtains hanging in the window in the evening on a Friday night. Little light of You know, this is used to great effect in Days to Confused. Lovely. Seals and Crofts. What were they introduced? Who, who made the mistake and introduced them? Oh. oh God, Didn't someone introduce them? They got high? Yeah. And then they introduced them as it's something else. <laughs> I, can't I can't remember who it was. It was, was it someone we talked to? Or no, it was maybe it was a clip we played? Yeah, it might have been a clip. Yeah. <laughs> Seals and Crofts. And he, I can't remember how he introduced them. Maybe somebody remembers, but he 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 got high, and it was I think it was it, it might have been from um, one of our Carson clips. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll I'll do a little half yeah. internet research here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, hey, the news is next from the Northwestern Medicine Newsroom. Tom Appel is with us. Joins us once a month, publisher of Consumer Guide Automotive, and answers any and all of your car questions. Always a lot of uh, a lot of fun to have Tom on. All right, uh, hi Tom. Hello. Okay, we got a couple more people here. Oh, good. Uh, here's Curtis, and he's in Kentucky. Hi, Curtis. Hey, how you doing? Good, man. Uh, I've got a 2000 Toyota Celica. That you, it'll start, you can start it out, let it run seven to ten minutes, and it'll quit. But after it cools down, it'll start again. What's my problem? Huh, I don't know. So when it gets warm, it stops. So that sounds like a fuel delivery problem of some sort. Um, I don't know if it's your fuel pump. This is a little bit beyond my ken. Uh, but I'm just going to go out on a limb and say maybe your fuel pump is starting to go bad on you. Yeah. You get get, get it checked out, Curtis. Okay, but I thank uh, you. I appreciate it. Okay, buddy. Take care. Thank you for listening in Kentucky. We appreciate that. All the way to all the way in Kentucky, Tom. Yeah, that's some, that's some distance. There it is, yeah. Uh, here's John on WGN. Hi, John. Hi, Tom. Hello. I used to listen to you on the Steve and Johnny show. Oh, great. And uh, a long time ago, you were talking about an experimental engine called the no camshaft engine, uh-huh. in which the valves were operated by electromagnets yeah. instead of the camshafts. And you thought maybe it would be out in a few years, and you said it was like thirty percent more fuel economy and thirty percent more power. Do you remember talking about that? Oh, I clearly do, and I just read a little bit more about that. Um, for people who don't know, valves, which allow air in and out of the cylinders, um, are actuated by pistons right now. and Or not by pistons, but by springs, which are compressed by the camshafts. And it's just a lot of effort. It's a lot of energy that's expended to do this. Also, because it's set up by a, a single universal cam, you don't have that much control over individual operation of the, of the different valves. So if we could activate those electrically using magnets, uh, they could they could be operated individually. You would use less energy. Um, there'd be less uh, kinetic energy being wasted. So there's a lot of good that would come from that. But unfortunately, the magnets to do this um, are very expensive. They're very uh, difficult to manipulate, and they're having a hard time making those work as fast as they need them to work because they need to reverse rotation or reverse polarity. Uh, I always thought it would be BMW who did that first, and we'll see. There's, for some reason, there's discussion of this coming up again, but no one seems close to you, to applying the, that valve technology yet. Yeah, I've heard the reliability is the big problem. You yeah, know, getting it, a magnet like that to work at all those RPMs, and I was just curious how things were evolving. Well, I don't think there's any news since last we talked. <laughs> yeah, <it's>... yeah, boy, <laughs> it'd be great if it worked. Just think of all the fuel people would save. Yeah, it will work eventually. There's just a lot of kinks to work out. Yeah. All right. Thanks, John. Thanks. All right. 312-981-7200. Here's uh, Kathy on WGN. Hi, Kathy. Good evening. How are you? Good. Go ahead. Okay. My question is regarding CVT transmission problems. Uh Um, My daughter... uh (laughs) Uh-oh. My daughter has a 2013 Nissan Rogue which we had the extended warranty for 135,000 miles. Um, and all of a sudden she's driving at it and her car just clunked. And it's a CVT transmission, uh-huh. which had 139,000 miles on it. So nobody will help. And then your, their solution is, well, you have two solutions. You can buy a new transmission because they really don't have rebuilt of those or 
find a slightly used one, or you have a junker car for five hundred dollars. Hmm. So, so you're just over the extended warranty. Here's an interesting point about that CVT. For people who don't know, CVT stands for Continuously Variable Transmission. And instead of having four or five or six or eight or ten ratios, there's an infinite range of ratios within a certain range. Um, and, and they're very good for fuel efficiency. They feel a little bit strange to drive if you notice that sort of thing. And they're generally reliable, though Nissan ran into some trouble. And Nissan does have them on a lot of vehicles, including the Rogue that you mentioned, my daughter owns a Nissan Juke, and that's one of the vehicles, too. There's been some reliability issues with that. Now, I just received a letter in the mail from Nissan extending my warranty on that vehicle, specifically because of the transmission. I would think that if you reached out to a district manager uh, from Nissan, they might take some pity on you because they are recognizing that this is a problem. Um, I did contact Nissan Consumer Affairs, and uh, the extended warranty went from... 60,000 miles, which was their original, to like 120,000 miles, or possibly 130. So my extended warranty was longer than that one, um, and they told me, too bad, so sad, on that, that their extend, you know, their warranty went to 130, and you're at 139, um, and said, do what you have to do regarding if you want to proceed but I couldn't, they wouldn't let me go higher than the consumer affair to find out anything. Um, greatly disappointed. I was like, holy cow. And there are many reliability issues that it's like, wow, I'm not doing that again. Yeah, your best bet at this point is to reach out to someone at the dealership where you bought the car. You bought it at a Nissan dealer? I did not. I bought it used at a Chevrolet dealer. Ah, see, that's a little bit harder than if you had some contact at a Nissan dealer where you would purchase it, you might be able to get the service manager to reach out for you and see if he can get something done. That's a tough situation that you're in then, and, and of the options that you have, um, I might if you, if you like the vehicle, I might just go ahead and replace the transmission. All right, Kathy. Okay. Thank All right. you. Thank you. Take care. Um, hey, uh, Tom, can you stick around after the news? I can. Because we have a ton of people who are calling in, and okay. uh, we want to answer as many questions as possible. And I also want to get to some of the other stories, especially the coolish dashboards of the 50s. Good. Because okay. I've got that, I've got that up on my computer right now, and they look so awesome. Some of them are yeah, there's so some cool. great stuff there. Great stuff. So, let's see. Uh, we can get one more question in. Oh, well, Dan is here on WGN. Go ahead, Dan. Hey, Dick. Uh, the gentleman that had a problem with his car dying after about ten minutes, uh, he might want to try. I'm not a mechanic, but an engine coolant temperature sensor. It senses the temperature of the coolant as the engine gets hotter. It tells it to run leaner. If it's starting to go bad, it's telling the engine it's colder, it's running too rich, it's dying. When the car sits for a while and the engine cools down, now it's telling it's colder and it's working better. And that was an old, and a lot of old Uh, Hondas had that problem. It's a $15 part. It's usually up on top of the engine. You can just unscrew it, put one in. If it doesn't work, well, you're only out 15 bucks. You might want to try that. That makes sense. Okay, Dan, thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for the advice. We appreciate it. Uh, 312-981-7200 for your automotive and car-related questions. Uh, Tom's going to stick around after the news, so we got uh, time to answer as many questions as uh, we can get in here. And we also have a couple of stories that uh, we're going to get to as well. 312-981-7200 is the uh, phone number. Um, But consumers, before we jump to the news here, consumers shopping for a new car, people are still uh, wary, right? They are a little bit wary, and it's a weird situation now. The inventory on the ground is down by about a third. It's a little bit harder to buy a car because you're mostly online, so you're not test-driving product. Right. So it's all. It, what's really hard is if, if finding the vehicle you want exactly because there is a, there is a, a shortage of, of, of inventory. So if you're looking for a particular trim level and a particular color, you may be disappointed. Okay. It's interesting that, uh, you know, people are talking about how they're going to, because of what's going on in the world, that they're actually going to go out and buy a car. Yeah. So so it's going back and forth. I mean, there there are good things about what's happening in terms of, like, uh, you know, the cars, you know, like uh, uh, selling of cars and things like that. And it's also, there's also crazy things like this. Yeah, it's a very strange situation right now. And I think dealers are pulling their hair out. Yeah. Uh, because they don't know how to read the market. Yeah, it's crazy. All right, Tom, hang on, okay? 
Will do. All right, Tom Appel is with us. He's going to hang out again. Uh, and we've got a few phone lines open if you want to jump in. Tom, be happy to answer your questions that are automotive or car-related. 312-981-7200. He's going to spend a little extra time with us this morning since we're getting so many calls. And we want to help everybody out who's got a question. So if you have a question... Well, we would love to hear from you. 312-981-7200. We've got a few more uh, stories to talk about, and we're going to we're going to discuss the 10 coolest dashboards of the, of the 50s. And I suggest that you go to the Daily Drive and Consumer Guide and take a look at some of these dashboards. They're unbelievably cool. So anyway, all that is coming up with more here. Again, you can follow Tom at car underscore guy underscore Tom. And uh, more, more of your questions and more time with Tom Appel coming up right here on 720 WGN. But let's get into the newsroom now. Raindrops are falling on my head And just like the guy whose feet are too big for his bed Nothing seems to fit I see what you did there. I see what you did. I can look out the window. I can see the wet pavement. Very good. It is wet out there tonight. Wet out there tonight. <laughs> Pacino from uh, Glen Gary, Glen Ross. Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN, uh, live in the Skyline studio. I always thought that that was just a, just a, a really weird scene in Butch Cassidy. Just I think like suddenly, everybody thought it was a weird. Just like scene. suddenly, it's like you're riding around on a bike and B.J. Thomas is singing. What? What is? What is this? Is that period appropriate? I mean, I like the song, and sure, I think it, yeah. I, and I think it won the Oscar for yeah. best song that year. But it just is like, where did this come from? <laughs> from the beautiful voice of uh, B.J. Thomas. That's, that's right. All right. Three one two nine eight one seven two hundred. Our good friend Tom Appel is hanging out with us a little bit longer because we got some people on the line who have questions. We want to help them out. Tom is the publisher of Consumer Guide Automotive. He joins us once a month. You got uh, uh, some car issues that we're going to be talking about. And if you have a question, it's 312-981-7200. Thanks for sticking around, Tom. I appreciate it. Oh, no problem. All right. Let's uh, see. We can help some people out here. Here is uh, Mike on WGN. Go ahead, Mike. Uh, How you guys doing? All right. Go ahead. I got a question about, uh, I got a letter from a Jeep about a new uh, model that's coming out or an improvement. Do you know anything about that? Uh, a new model? Well, the new model is the, the Gladiator, which is the pickup version of the Jeep. There's also a Mojave, which is sort of a desert sand runner version of that vehicle. Um, other than that, the new models, there are brand new large SUVs coming very soon that we'll know about next week, going to be called uh, Wagoneer and Grand Wagoneer. And those will be designed to uh, compete with some things like the uh, GMC Yukon and the Ford Expedition, things like that. That's what we know about oh, okay. them. All right, Mike. That was okay. I appreciate it. Take care. Uh, a uh, a a a Jeep pickup. Yeah, there's a Jeep pickup. It's it's really it looks very much like a Jeep Wrangler with a pickup bed. It is longer than that. It rides on a longer wheelbase. Uh, but if you like the way the Wrangler looks, you're going to like the way the Gladiator looks. See, and it's called the Glad. I love the. Uh, it's the, called the Gladiator. The yeah. Gladiator. You got to love that. <laughs> We've talked about this so many times, Tom. Every month you're on, we always talk about who names these cars? Where do they come from? Well, you know, in the case of the Jeep, there's there's so many great Jeep legacy names. Jeep's been around um, since basically the World War II. Yeah. And, and they have all sorts of great names like that. They used a lot of Indian tribe names that, that are a little bit less uh, popular now for all sorts of reasons. Right. But, but, like they used Apache and Cherokee and things like that, and they still use the Cherokee name. Um but, yeah, we're seeing a lot of heritage names being brought back, as we, you and I talked about just a little bit earlier this show. Um, but, yeah, naming is so tricky these days. And, yeah. and you want to be careful not to offend anyone. You want it to sound familiar, but you don't want it to sound too new. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's a complicated business. It sounds like it. Well, the Gladiator. You can't go wrong with Gladiator, right? No, no, not especially for a truck like that. Yeah. All right, cool. Uh, let's see. Here's uh, Matt on WGN. Hi, Matt. Hi, how you guys doing? All right. I'm the original owner. I bought it brand new, a 2003 Chevy Malibu. I just turned 417,000 miles. Wow. And every time we take it somewhere, whether it's to get new tires and oil change or whatever, everybody always says, oh, my God, you should contact Chevy. They'll, they'll give you an award or something. <laughs> Is that true? Would Chevy do anything for us? You know, funny story about that. There is a Nick DiGilio show, show listener. That's right. 
who had turned, he's got to be at about a million one hundred thousand miles on his Civic. Yep. And Honda wasn't that interested, as it turned out. Isn't that crazy? Over a million miles on the car. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm thinking half a million. I think you got another, at least another half million to go. <laughs> oh, I'm trying. All right. I'm trying. <laughs> Keep driving it, Matt. Okay, buddy. Take care. Bye bye. All right. Um, what's the most miles you ever put on a car, Tom? Um, I put 180,000 miles on my Scirocco, my Volkswagen Scirocco, and that, that was a very trouble free car. Yeah. Yeah, Volkswagen has a good reputation, don't they? Yeah, they did. And and like 80s Volkswagens are very simple vehicles. They were easy to keep running and relatively relatively easy on the wallet to keep running. Yeah. So that that made them very popular for a time. It did. Yeah. 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 So that was a, I'm I'm sorry, how much how many miles again? I think I sold it with 177 to a buddy's brother. And that's a lot. Yeah, yeah, and it was it was yeah, one transmission, one clutch, one set of brakes, not much. Wow. Now so you sold it to somebody at with 177,000 miles on it. How how much how many more do you know how many more miles was put on the car? I don't. I don't. I lost track of the car after that. That would be interesting to see. Yeah, it would be interesting. Uh, how I much? love that car too. I miss it. Yeah, th- it was, I'm sure it's well well past saving at this point. <laughs> what year was it? It was in 85. Oh, in 85, sure, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Long gone. Long gone. <laughs> oh man. Uh 312-981-7200. Is the uh, phone number if you have a uh, car or automotive-related re- question. And, and uh, Tom has been kind enough to stick around a little bit longer. Taxi driver Bob. Bob, go ahead. Hey, how you doing, Tom? I'm well, thank you. Good. Um, I, I just saw on my phone uh, a news story under Yahoo News or wherever it was that the new 2021 Kia Sedona minivan uh, is... Uh, I don't know if it's come out or it's been out for a while or it's coming out, but um, is, it, is it the first minivan that's got a, a diesel, turbo diesel in it? It is, it is not the first turbo diesel. It, it, it is um, turbo diesel minivans have never existed in the United States. In fact, Chrysler sold its minivans, the Caravan, the Voyager, those vehicles, uh, in Europe using um, Fiat turbo diesel engines. So... Yeah, they happen. It's just Americans never embraced that, and they never brought the vehicles here. Yeah. Okay. All right, Bob. It looks really, it looks it looks really cool with the large screen. And I was just wondering, the size inside that van is it the same amount of room as the Sienna minivan, or it's smaller? Um, it's about the same. That vehicle, the redesigned version of of that vehicle, will be here in the U.S. fairly soon, uh, but not with the diesel. Okay. All right, Bob. Thanks. Oh, uh, okay. Thank All you. Right, take care, uh, Tom. Hang on. Okay. Will do. All right, Tom Appel is with us. We've got a few more people on the line, uh, and we thank Tom for hanging out with us a little bit later than usual. Uh, he's the publisher of Consumer Guide Automotive. You can check out consumerguide.com and follow him at car underscore guy underscore Tom. Uh, we are also going to talk about the 10 coolest dashboards of the 50s, and I suggest you go to Consumer Guide and their Daily Drive blog um, and check them out because it's just cool. Tom, have you, have you looked at these, at the at the dashboards? Yeah, There's, I love. The, I absolutely oh, love classic cars. The vintage, um, the vintage fifties dashboards and the, what the steering wheel looks like and everything. It's so cool. Mm-hmm. So we'll talk about that too. Uh, it's Nick DiGiulio on seven twenty WGN. Sensing a theme. Here comes the rain again, on my head like a uh, I love your rhythmics. On my so great. Like uh, we are live in the Skyline studio here. It's Nick DeGilio. I saw uh, your rhythmics um, in their heyday, like in the early 80s. And a band called Real Life opened for them. You know Real Life? Send me an angel. <laughs> Send me an angel <laughs> right now. Well, I feel like I'm I'm hearing the recording right now. I feel like I'm there. I bought the I love that song. They weren't not very popular, but they opened for Eurythmics and it was at the auditorium. So it was a great venue and uh and I got to hear well, I've seen Annie Lennox solo as well. Sure. God, she's got a great voice. Uh Tom Appel has been sticking around with us, uh publisher of Consumer Guide Automotive. And answering your car questions. Hello, Tom. Hello. Okay. Uh, we still have some people on the line. 
Let's, okay. Let's get to it. Here's Nick on WGN. Hey, Nick. Hey, Tom. Can you tell me, like, within the last five years, you were talking about Jeeps. What is, like, the, the what's your opinion on the tow packages on those? Like, for, like, something small, like, um, small trailer or watercraft, you know, like Wave Runners? Well, the generally you're talking about um about fifteen hundred pounds of towing capacity. That's not a problem yeah. for any Jeep product. Any of the, the rear drive, the Wrangler, the Grand Cherokee, they should have no problem towing with that. I don't even know if you yeah, need a tow package. Yeah, the Wrangler mainly. Yeah. Yeah. For that kind of weight you probably don't even need a tow package, just a hitch. All right. Okay. Okay. You got it. Thanks. Thanks, Nick. Take care. Three one two nine eight one seven two hundred. Here's Myrna on WGN. Hi Myrna. Hi. I have a two, uh, 2016 Chevy Equinox, and I really like the car. I had it maybe about a year, and one day I tried to start. I started it, and I put it in reverse back out of the driveway, and it wouldn't go anywhere. And so I have OnStar, and I called them. They came out and looked at it and didn't know really what was wrong. And he said, well, maybe when you park the car and the wheels are in a certain position, it locks things up, so just, you know, do the steering wheel as much as you can, as much as it allows you to. So I did that, and then it didn't happen for a while. Now it's happening more frequently, and uh, the steering wheel, moving the steering wheel doesn't help. And just about the time I'm going to call somebody, it starts. I mean, it, it, it goes into gear, and it'll, it'll drive. I don't know what could be wrong. The engine light comes on. Um, I, I don't know what's wrong. Huh. So so if I want, I want to understand this, you have to turn the steering wheel to sort of unlock things. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I'm a little bit hard of hearing, but, yeah, I have to, you know, they, they say just do the steering wheel back and forth as much as, as you can to get the wheels to move as much as you can. But that helped in the beginning when it happened, but now uh-huh. it doesn't help anymore. Yeah, that situation isn't entirely uncommon, where sometimes the, the steering wheel locks up when you turn the car off. I think everyone knows that. And sometimes you have to just sort of turn it all the way to the right or all the way to the left to unlock it. Uh, that's a weird situation. You shouldn't have that often. The fact that it's happening more and more to you means that something is definitely getting worse, so you have to get that looked at. The fact that this, the... The engine light came on. I don't know what that would cause unless something's wrong with your power steering itself, mm. um, which is possible. Okay. All oh, right. boy. Okay. All right, Myrna. Good luck. Uh, thank you. Take care. Uh, how often does that happen? Not. Yeah, I haven't heard that problem too often. Okay. Uh, here's Mark on WGNA, Mark. Hi. I have a, a 97 Twin Turbo Supra, and I have Bridgestone RE050A. Uh, tires and with the, like zero miles on the tires, and I got a screw in one of the rear tires, and it kind of oh, went no. into, yeah, it kind of went into the sidewall. So uh, apparently now I can only get uh, the Bridgestone REO five A's in a in a run flat, and and uh, I've heard good and bad things about run flats, and I don't know if I, it's a place has to have special equipment to repair it if you do have a problem with it. And I don't know if I can mix one run flat with the with the regular tires because it, the other tires are not run flats. What, what's your opinion on the, on the run flats? First of all, first of all, uh, Tom, explain what run flats are. Yeah, a lot of a lot of stuff there at one time. So run flat tires are tires with reinforced sidewalls, and they can run for um, usually a serious amount of. of maybe up to 50 miles with no air in them. Um, and they're usually used on vehicles where you don't have a spare tire ah. or, you, or you can't fit a spare tire in the trunk. And in the case of a Supra, which has very large wheels and tires, um, it, it would be difficult to get a spare tire in the back of that vehicle. Now, the Bridgestones um, that the caller was talking about, very expensive, uh, so they would be hard to locate. And then a screw in the sidewall can't be fixed. Um, you can't. You can usually in the flat of the tire, on the tread of the tire, you can usually repair a leak. You can't do it in the sidewall. Oh man! Um, but I would not mix uh, run flats with non-run flats because the sidewall dynamic is entirely different, um, and you would run into weird handling situations. Okay. So right. buy a complete set then. Yeah, unfortunately, I would bite the bullet and just buy four new tires. Wow. Okay. okay. Great. Thank All you. Right. All right. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Mark. All right. Whoa, that's that that that's a pain right there. Yeah, that's for expensive tires. Yeah, jeez. Just because of one screw. Yeah, and that's a thing, too, with all-wheel drive vehicles these days. If you replace one tire, they generally say you have to replace all four. Wow, man. Which is crazy, but it makes sense because the all-wheel drive system is very sophisticated now and actually measuring rotation, and, and yeah, you, you you want to do that, but it's, it's, it's awful if you uh, have to pay for that. It's a pain in the neck, really. Yes. Wow. 
All right. Um, you guys do a lot of fun stuff on the Daily Drive blog. And uh, this, was, uh, this was done by one of your uh, co-workers. And it was the 10 coolest dashboards of the 50s. Yeah, uh, Frank Piler, actually the guy that hired me way back when and used to join me on, uh, actually I joined him when we used to visit with Steve and Johnny. Yeah. Uh, Frank curated this list of, of, of dashboards. Uh, he's kind of an old car aficionado, but really kind of a historian. And yeah, the 50s were just such a great time for design. And Absolutely. One of the things that's happening here is, is that from the 30s and 40s, dashboards were sort of compact and in front of the wheel. And you usually, if there was a radio, it would be towards the center, and that would look very gothic with a lot of little bars and stuff. But by the 50s, they decided they could use the whole dash. (laughs) Yeah. And you see that starting to happen here. Yeah. And you have this early, the 52 Mercury, you still see a lot of painted steel. But like this 1950 Chevy, this wonderful polished metal all the way across the dash with a center, um, big center gauge in the middle, and these wonderful chrome bars for the radio and little yeah. dot, little knobs everywhere. It's a beautiful thing, and you would you would never see this in a car now. It's no. it's just first of all, I can't even imagine what it would cost to make manufacture this. I know, crazy. Well, I'm looking at the. This is, I'm just going to go in order here as they are in the yeah. article. The 55 Packard, very cool. Yeah, that's incredible. That that is that is some over the top stuff, but I love it. Yeah, it is. It's really it's really kind of out there. Uh, and then you, you you mentioned the '50 Chevy, um, which is really cool. And then the 1950 Ford, which is uh, kind of crazy looking. Uh, it is kind of crazy, and there's a lot of steel there. It's interesting to still see painted steel on a dashboard because that was starting to go away. But but there's some beautiful stuff happening there. It's very simple. Uh, and the radio controls, those are, those. are the radio here looks fairly familiar to someone who had a radio in the 70s and 80s and even into the 90s. Yeah, you got the push button. Uh-huh. You got the push button presets. And uh, and also the... Uh the the gear shift is uh, the uh, is is pretty strange looking too with the little white knob on the end of it. Yeah, it was way out there, and that's for a little bit of leverage. So that would be a column shifter. Yeah, a column shifter. Uh, all sorts of fun. <laughs> very very cool. Um, the fifty two Mercury. Yeah, which would be very similar to the Ford. Those were nearly identical vehicles mechanically, uh, but that's just a little bit upgrade of that. And and the, the central pod thing here is interesting with aviation style switches. Yeah. And the big sweeping dash, I love that. It looks cool, and also the middle of the the middle of the steering wheel looks like a plane. Yeah, and that's on purpose. Yeah, yeah. The, the whole avi- the, the whole tie between the marketing of cars to aviation started really in the late forties. Wow. Okay. Uh, how about the nineteen fifty three Corvette? Very cool. Yeah, that's incredible. The two-tone thing is great, and it just sweeps across the entire car. And you sort of have the twin pod thing going on where you have a matching um, a matching hooded sort of cove there, even though you don't have gauges in front of the passenger as well. So the symmetry here is great. Oh, it's beautiful. The gauges are in the center in front of the shifter. Yeah. That's beautiful. Um, then you, we've got the 1953 Oldsmobile. This is, this is almost architecture. And this is something like the Corvette, where you have you have a matching element on the passenger side that that matches what's going on in front of the driver, and then this great sweep in between them with polished metal in two different colors. Yeah, and the radio right in the middle, and then then the fluting of the steel on the bottom of that is great looking. Yeah. This must have been very expensive to do. Yeah, it must have been. I mean, it's really something. Um, how about the 1955 Desoto? I like this. I like the colors here. This black and tan is yeah. really attractive, very masculine. Yeah. Very, very cool. Uh, the 1955 Dodge. Like this, too. That looks like wood tone. I don't think that's real wood because they didn't do that a lot in those days. Yeah. But that's really great against the black. It's sort of a cherry wood for people who can't see what we're talking about. It, it's very cool looking. Yeah. Very, very cool looking. Uh, now, look at this, the Packard. This is crazy. The 1955 Packard. You would, I just imagine it took like three guys to lift that. Yeah, it's oh like my a single God. metal piece. It's a giant metal piece that's right across, right across the dash. Yeah, that is awesome, and a very cool steering wheel too. Fifty-seven uh, Imperial. This is pretty classy. It's a little sleeker than the other ones, where you've got the big pod in front of the driver, and it kind of narrows as it goes to the right towards the passenger. Yeah. I like this. And then you got the huge horn ring in the middle of the steering wheel, which is a cool thing, too, instead of a button in the middle. I like what uh, your colleague said about this. Two large instrument clusters that even Mr. Magoo could see. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The 58 Edsel is the the last one, but that's really cool looking, you know? 
Yeah, that is super busy and ornate, but in a really nice way. Yeah. I yeah. like the color on the faces of the gauges, kind of a gold bronze. Yeah. The, is the, does the Edsel have a bad rap in his, historically? Yeah, and it doesn't deserve it. The Edsel was just a marketing mistake. There wasn't anything especially wrong with the vehicles themselves. Yeah. But what happened is Pontiac and Dodge were doing very well, and those were sort of mid-level brands, and Ford didn't really have anything. They had Mercury, which is a little bit stodgy and a little bit more expensive. So they thought, we need something to fight Pontiac and Dodge. So they bring out this brand. They call it Edsel. The Edsel name might be a mistake, but there was a recession at the time, and people kind of backed away from more expensive cars, so the yeah. timing was terrible. Yeah. Well, that's too bad because it's a good-looking car. Yeah. Um, all right, Tom. Thanks for sticking around later. Uh, we appreciate it, and people can oh, check my out pleasure. consumerguide.com. Follow you at car underscore guy underscore Tom. We'll talk to you again next month, Tom. Thank you. Looking forward to it. Thanks. Okay, buddy. Take care. That was nice of Tom to hang out with us for a little bit, answer a few more questions for you. Um, but you can follow him on... Uh, uh, Twitter and all the places at car underscore guy underscore Tom. And always check out Consumer Guide. Oh, and by the way, um, we forgot to mention this. Um, you can subscribe to their newsletter. Uh, it's free, so you can get uh, updates on uh, on all the automotive stories and things that they're covering on Consumer Guide. So if you go to consumerguide.com, make sure you subscribe to the newsletter. Get in there and subscribe to the newsletter, and it's free. All right, uh, Tom Apollo, join us again next month. All right, we're going to get back to We were talking about... Um, Tenant horror stories and land and bad landlord stories. You want to get back into that, Tom? Yes, please. <laughs> All right, we got a bunch more here, uh, and some of these are are nightmares. So, if you ever had a, a, a bad experience uh, while renting in a, a a place or an apartment or something, you had a bad landlord or some nightmare stories, uh, or even if you had ridiculous neighbors, because that's a that's bad too. Three one two nine eight one seven two hundred. It's Nick DeGilio on seven twenty WGN.